Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Welcome to our most recent podcast. I'm delighted to introduce our two guests today. Melina Shannon DiPietro is the director of the Yale Sustainable Food Project and has been so since 2003. The Yale Sustainable Food Project is, is a, a project of, of national note and even international note with other universities modeling Yale's program. Melina graduated from Harvard University spent some time um, in the consulting world, uh, and then did work in farms, working in Sicily and Maine, taught in the Maine Coast Seminar, and did a number of other educational and academic things related to food. Then came to Yale and helped found the Yale Sustainable Food Project. Uh, she's been involved nationally and internationally in a variety of efforts related to food and food policy, including taking a act, very active role in the 2005 Smithsonian Folklife Festival. Our other guest is Jennifer McTiernan, who's the founding executive director of City Seed, a New Haven-based group, that, a nonprofit New Haven-based group that focuses on uh, getting healthy food to underserved populations. Uh, this, it's, this is also a model program, having achieved national note being written about in USA Today, honored by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, et cetera. Um, City Seed is noteworthy for uh, its uh, ability to uh, b bring together local farmers with people in communities that ordinarily have deprived access to healthy food and has been, as I said, a, um, an award-winning program. And Jen, Jennifer herself, having graduated from Yale College, uh, has been, been uh, noted for her work, including being named by the New Haven Register as the New Haven Person of the Year for 2006. So Melina and Jen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to have you here. Um, I'm very inspired by your work, and you know, you're two people who are wonderfully articulate in describing what you do, um, beautifully diplomatic in being able to overcome the very real challenges that exist in doing things in the community. And you combine that with a passion and an ability to get things done. And the consequence is that many, many people have benefited from, from your hard work. So let's first uh, uh, give a brief description of what your programs are. And uh, Melina, why don't we start with you and tell us what the Yale Sustainable Food Project is. Sure. Thank you, Kelly, for having us. Um, the Sustainable Food Project was really br brought about by the efforts of Yale undergrads, uh, President Rick Levin, um, and on entrepreneur Alice Waters. And um, these three, sort of the students, President Levin and Alice, had an amazing vi vision for the university. They felt like we could change the way Yale eats. And if we change the way Yale eats, we could actually change people's relationship to food and to the environment largely. Um, and so the Sustainable Food Project oversees a sustainable dining program in Yale's residential colleges. It uh, has a one-acre organic farm on campus, which has served as a model to institutions around the nation. Um, and it builds education and curricular work around food and agriculture. We've, we've grown since our founding and really touch every aspect of undergraduate life. What the university does at core, I think, is it raises leaders. And Yale is committed to raising a generation of leaders who are connected to the environment and equipped 
um, with the best solutions for the environmental challenges, particularly around food and agriculture, that this generation is facing. So one wouldn't think of Yale as producing leaders in farming <laughs> or agriculture or, or things like that. So what's the connection here? Why should people at a place like Yale care about these issues? You know, it's a little known fact, Kelly, that Yale University was actually the first land-grant college in the state. Um, and the farmers will tell you they took the charter back because Yale wasn't doing its job well enough. Um, this was in the 1800s. But the really, truly fundamental connection is that we all eat. And the most pressing questions of the day, whether we're talking about climate change, where 35% of greenhouse gas emissions are related to food, um, whether we're talking about national security, we saw 30 nations in this last year experience um, unrest or protests related to food, or we're talking about public health. Um, all of these issues are related to food. Um, one in three children born in the year 2000, according to the Center for Disease Control, will have type 2 diabetes. It's totally preventable. It's entirely related to diet. And what we need is we need interdisciplinary, innovative solutions to these crises. And I think Yale's in a position where our students, our faculty, our staff are interested and dedicated and can help provide some of some of these solutions or at least ask illuminating questions. Thank you. I'd like to follow up on a particular issue you raised in just a moment. But first, uh, Jen, tell us about City Seed. Sure. Um, City Seed began in 2004 with four neighbors from the Worcester Square neighborhood of New Haven known for Pepe's and Sally's Pizza. And we realized that though you could get pizza and pasta, you could not find a tomato, a fresh tomato, never mind one grown locally. So we started with four neighbors, really a grassroots effort that identified an issue in our neighborhood, lack of access to fresh, healthy food, and we began with one farmer's market. And from that, we've now grown into a nonprofit organization that works statewide to get more local food to more people, promoting economic development, community development, and sustainable agriculture. And we now operate a network of four farmer's markets in New Haven that accept food stamps and WIC coupons, we also promote farm viability. We engage the community through outreach and education, including a preschool curriculum. And the, we're developing a New Haven cookbook. And we also advocate for policy change. So we've taken a community food system approach to this issue. And we are trying to do all of these things from a bunch of different angles to change the culture of food, to change the reality of the kinds of food accessible in a city like New Haven, the kinds of meals served in a school system like New Haven's. You know, your, your program is young as, as these things go, only a few years old, and yet you have some statistics on the amount of money that uh, has been put into the New Haven economy because of this and the number of people, for example, who are using things like food stamps. Can you describe some of that? Yes, it's often surprising. I, I, am, I am talking about a farmer's market, so tables, tents, farmers. Uh, but this market season, the network of four city farmer's markets contributed, and still counting, uh, $1.75 million to job creation in the local economy. And this captures not only the impact on local farmers, but also the fact that area businesses benefit from having a farmer's market there. There's a coffee shop in Worcester Square. They hire an extra person. So there are real economic benefits to these farmer's markets. They are engines not only for the economy, but also for neighborhood revitalization, community development, and also increasing access to local healthy food. And this season as well, we've already redeemed over $78,500 in WIC coupons and food stamps. 
which is a bedrock principle for us. We want these markets to be accessible to everyone in the community. You know, one, th- one word that comes to mind is, is you're both describing the work you do is distance. And you're, you're, you're trying to, to reduce the distance between people and their food. And if you think about distance, there's really f- the physical distance that people have from their food and the psychological distance. So obviously the food distance has to do with how far food is shipped and what sort of energy costs there are in doing that. And th- issues like that that people are becoming gradually more aware of. But there's also a psychological distance, isn't there, when people are accustomed to eating food that's processed, grown very far away. You know, many people don't even know what, you know, where a carrot grows or things like that on on a tree in the ground, wherever. And shrinking that distance is really what you guys are all about, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does, Does that make sense as a concept? Absolutely. And I would actually argue that one of the most powerful aspects of a farmer's market is that it's so subtle. You show up at a farmer's market, maybe you've never been to one before, and if it's, you know, October in Connecticut and you're at a farmer's market, you walk down the row of stands and all of a sudden you know what is in season in that month in the state or the region that you live in. And it's you, you sort of absorb it through osmosis. And it's celebratory, it's community-based, and I think the power of that kind of approach to addressing something as visceral and basic as food, how we eat it, when we eat it, who we eat it with, um, is very compelling. Well, another issue related to the distance is, is, you know, one could have the farmers bring things to a farmer's market, drop them off, and then somebody else actually sells it to the consumer. But you don't do it that way. No, that, that direct connection between the farmer and the consumer uh, so is the an farmer important is the building one block. at the table selling the food to the to the, the customer. Exactly. The line needs to be straight from the field to the plate. And so that create a situation where someone who lives in New Haven, who maybe didn't even know there were farms nearby, can meet a farmer from farm 15 miles outside of the city and say, how did you grow this? You know, what do you do with the tops of beets? I know what to do with the beets. What do I do? I can do something with the beet greens. Um, and there's this exchange that's cultural, that's community-based, um, and that's, that's sort of part of you know, the, the power of a local food culture and building a local food system. That sounds great. Melina? I think in the dining halls, you actually have, you have an institution standing in, you know, it's a proxy for a family, a residential college dining hall. You have 400 people sitting down to dinner. And one of the challenges there is there's not the direct connection with the farmer. Um, when you think about del- when Yale eats potatoes for dinner, they eat 600 pounds of potatoes for dinner. It's a lot of farmland, great, a great market for farmers. But we end up creating proxies for that direct connection. We will have students out to farms for orientation programs or field trips, and we'll bring farmers onto campus to speak because it is that direct connection that cha- changes people's minds. Um, people so much want to know about food, and the current food system really depends on a type of ignorance and distance um, that we would be far enough away that we don't know how our meat is raised or uh, what pesticides are going on our fields. And when you begin to talk to farmers, begin to ask these questions, suddenly um, people's eyes light up and their minds open up and connections begin to be made for them. You know, if I think about the the people potentially listening to this podcast, Many people are part of institutions. They're, you know, part of a business in the business world, and they have an employer that may have a cafeteria. They are working in a hospital, and the hospital has a cafeteria. They're in a university like Yale, and I, I've heard you talk, Melina, about the how Yale can make a statement and really affect the local economy through its buying power. 
Um, how does that work? So very much in the way that Jennifer's talking about City Seed, um, an institution like individuals has a grocery bill. Um, Yale spends about $8 million on groceries every single year. Um, our job is to get as much of that grocery bill as possible spent on a local agricultural economy that's practicing sustainable agriculture in particular. At its very best, um, it works like the salsa we made in partnership with George Pirtle. George is a farmer in South Glastonbury. He has about 60 acres. We worked with him and he planted an additional five acres in tomatoes, cilantro, garlic, onions. That five acres of crops was harvested in a hot sunny August, carted to downtown New Haven, where Onofrio's, a small processing plant, crafted it into salsa. That salsa is eaten in Yale's dining halls every single day. Um, and so there's immense return to the local economy. The salsa tastes great. Um, and there's this story behind our food. And I think at the end of the day, it's that connection. People want to be able to tell the story about where their food comes from. As much as we want to be able to tell stories about our friends and our families, we want to tell that story. That's a very powerful argument with people getting better connected to their food, knowing who grew it, how it got processed, all those sort of things. The fact that the local community is being helped, that by choosing one food over another or by choosing to make contracts with one farmer over another, you're making a real statement about, about valuing the land, protecting the lives of the farmers and things like that. And you're also shrinking the distance because, you know, if it gets shipped from the local community, it's not some sort of produce that got raised in Chile or Peru or California and shipped all the way to the East Coast. So there are so many potential goods from something like that happening. Let me ask you guys, you both mentioned education, and I know you both do things with children. Um, tell us about what you do do with children and and. Even the story, if you will, about how this might affect children in surprising ways. Jen, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, we've partnered with the Connecticut Children's, Children's Museum to develop a curriculum for preschoolers in New Haven. And that curriculum involves a, a three-day um, workshops with bilingual books. The first day, the children plant a seed and it's peas and they, get, they grow. And the second day, they actually celebrate fresh, healthy food with music and songs like apples and bananas. There's some great songs for kids about food. And um, the, the point of this is to introduce three to five-year-olds to fresh, healthy food, to introduce them and their families and the preschool teachers to the resource of, of the farmer's markets. And the children also get to take a trip to the farmer's market, which is perhaps the most delightful um, experience because you, you, know, you have this troop of three to five-year-olds show up at the market, the farms, are eager to show off what they have. And you have parents remarking pretty frequently, I didn't think my child would even try, you know, that, um, I don't know, I guess raspberries are pretty easy for kids to try, but I didn't even think they'd try that bit of dill or, you know, that, uh, I don't know, you know, they want me to take home some squash. And it's just been remarkable to see how this program has helped curb some of the low expectations that parents and, and caregivers have in terms of what kids will actually eat. And they will eat fresh, healthy food, especially if a farmer hands it to them, um, and especially if there's a connection to it, and especially if it's something with which they are familiar. Um, so that's one side of the story. The other, the other area where we've worked with a bunch of community groups, including the Red Center, including the Yale Sustainable Food Project and the Wellness Committee um, and the Law School uh, Legal Services Organization, is helping to change the kind of food that's served in New Haven public schools. And this has been, it's, it's November of this year. It's, we've only, we're only two and a half months into the school system, uh, and they've changed to self-operation. And already, they are serving in the month of September after this change, where they went to all whole 
whole wheat bread. Um, everything has whole wheat in it. Um, also, they're serving some local vegetables, whole muscle chicken, which, you know, these are all things that simply were not on the menu before. And in the month of September, their response by the students was such that they served 70,000 more meals that month. And it's a school system of 20,000 children. So that's pretty substantial increase. And it is directly tied to the fact that the, the food, the quality of the food is better, that there are more fresh fruits and vegetables. Kids know. And kids know more than we think. Um, and I think that if you, if you introduce them to these foods, if you give them an opportunity, they will choose a path toward fresh, healthy eating. And one can imagine that effect even uh, increasing as the kids start to learn the story of the food and get in touch with it that way. Melina, I know you have a, a, you're really devoted to educating young children as well. Well, I think it's education is really the most important thing we do as a university. And um, I'm going to concentrate on the education that happens at the Yale Farm, but want to note that there's there's about 25 classes now taught at Yale. Of course, Kelly, the, the class uh, you teach is one of the most successful and most popular with students. But those classes are about food and agriculture. So this work is entering the former, formal curriculum at Yale. Um, but at the Yale farm, which is this lush, Edenic acre, and it's just 10 minutes away from old campus, um, undergraduates come up to spend time to work to learn. And on a given Friday, you could find 80 undergraduates working away, depending on the season, um, and then sharing a meal together. Those undergraduates also host New Haven Public School students in the space. And um, with the right type of support, I hope that we can build this program going forward. Um, but that is the power of being at Yale, I think, that you have undergraduates who are interested and passionate, and they are able, in turn, to give give and share this resource with the community. And then so you have New Haven Public School students learning in this space, um, and there's a, there's a beautiful connection there. And I think um, overall, when it was, a, it was a dear friend who helped me think about this, when we look at the impact that City Seed or Yale University and the Sustainable Food Project or the Rudd Center will have, what we're doing operationally in our buying practices is incredibly important. That's what will keep farmland in Connecticut. That is the taste, um, the difference we will taste every single day. But really, as a university, we are creating future citizens and future leaders. And so if we can give every undergraduate um, the tools to think about local food, um, to think about sustainability and the environment, we will have a radically different world in a generation. Um, we will have a set of parents, of uh, nonprofit leaders, of corporate citizens, um, and policymakers and even presidents who are thinking about food and agriculture um, in a way that's productive, both for the economy and for the environment and our communities. Well, thank you both so much. I'm, I'm very, very, as you know, I'm very impressed with your devotion, your passion, your dedication, and uh, your insight, creativity, and being able to do these remarkable programs in the communities. Uh, fortunate for us at Yale and the New Haven area that we have so much of this happening locally, and it's wonderful that these models are spreading around. So congratulations for all you've been able to accomplish. Thank you. Thank you. So our guests today were Melina Shannon D. Piedro, who's the director of the Yale Sustainable Food Project, and Jennifer McTiernan, who's the executive director of City Seed, a nonprofit organization in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, I welcome you to visit the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org to find a list of a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter, a variety of resources on food and food policy, and, of course, a list of the excellent podcasts that were recorded. Thank you.